This is the good news from the Gospel of John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and I don't know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at his head and the other at his feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned around, and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Ravoni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Well, happy Easter to you all, to y'all, depending on where you're watching us from. If you're down south, happy Easter, y'all. Um, I'm Rhodes Woolley, and with uh, Laura Henrik, we serve as pastors here at St. John's. I feel like I need to reintroduce ourselves since it's been a while. This has been quite a year, hasn't it? And uh, again, as we've already said a couple of times, welcome back. For those of you who have been uh, away from us or in-person worship, welcome back. Uh, as, we were, as we were listening to that beautiful retelling of the story, I remembered that last year I preached an Easter sermon from... Um, from High Rock Lake, oddly enough. I mean, we weren't in this space just a couple weeks prior to Easter. As you remember, we were, uh, we were on a total lockdown, and so we had to scurry around and figure out, Rob, you remember, how to, how to, how to do Holy Week services and Easter Sunday. And so I, uh, I did my portion of it from High Rock Lake. It was lovely. I wouldn't mind being at High Rock Lake today, <laughs> right? But nevertheless, welcome back. Last week before we walked into the um, sanctuary, Bill Safer said, I've been praying for this moment for a year, 
and I think I would agree. It's good. It's good to be. It's good to be here. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the inspiration of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Two weeks ago, I was uh, I was helping out with a yard project at a house in South Carolina. It was a total mess. Loaded down with overgrown vines and thorns that were choking the bushes all around it. The vines they had grown up into a, the tree that was in the middle of this uh, of this area. What looked like one tree, but one, maybe two trees. I don't know. Some of the vines were, gosh, as much as a half inch in diameter or, or more. I have no eye long, no no idea how long it had been overgrown, had been had been uh, just sort of unkept for so long. Uh, these vines, though, had now sort of grown into the bark of the tree, choking it, literally killing the tree. So the question, I guess, was did it make sense at all even to bother with it, to spend what would certainly be day or hours, if not days, pulling out vines, getting cut by thorns, un- uncovering who knows what might be underneath it, critters or snakes or other vines, I don't know. The easiest thing, of course, would be just to give up. Uh, or to call in the professionals and let them deal with it, landscapers. Be honest. Aren't you tired of all these thorny situations that we've found ourselves a part of this past year? I am. Now, I do have to admit to you that I, I promised myself that I was not going to even mention COVID or Roy Williams in this Easter sermon. <laughs> but dadgummit, it's been a heck of a year, right? <laughs> a year that's been overgrown with vines and snakes and thorns. Sometimes I've just wanted to give up or to turn it over to somebody else, and I'm sure you've felt the same way. The last few weeks, no doubt, has felt a little hopeful. I mean, it's been so fun to watch elementary kids returning to school or grandkids reuniting with their grandparents. The warm weather certainly helps. It just makes everybody feel a little bit better. But I was downtown the other day, and I ran into a friend who I haven't seen in a year. That's becoming more and more common, isn't it? And I said the typical phrase, so how are you doing? And expecting the typical response, great, but that's not the typical response I got. Not great, he said. In fact, if you want to know the truth, I, I've been pretty rotten. And for the next 15 minutes, he uh, talked about his worries, frustrations, fears, confusions. I used to just be able to push it aside, he said. But I can't anymore. I thought about that tree, choked by the vines, overwhelmed by thorns, once tall and stately, I'm sure, but now it just looked tired, exhausting, exhausted, overlooked, which may as may have been the way Mary Magdalene looked that day. Do you remember this story? A story that maybe you've heard many, many times, or maybe you're encountering for the first time. The story of Mary, uh, one of the earliest sort of uh, followers of Jesus, a friend of Jesus and the other disciples. Mary Magdalene showed up that Easter Sunday morning. That's the story that was just told. And she must have just been exhausted and tired I mean, she showed up really for just to take care of the body of of Jesus. The last four days for her had had been brutal beyond what she could have imagined. Now, a week earlier, she was on a high. Everybody was on a high. That's the day, you remember, that Jesus walked into uh, the, the city of Jerusalem, and people were waving their palm branches and throwing their cloaks on the ground, feeling so great, boisterous, shouting, Hosanna. That was Mary. She was in the middle of it all, but 
Before she knew it, he was arrested, he was tried, he was flogged, he was dragged through town, he was stripped, he was nailed to a cross. She, she had never been more hopeful than she was on Palm Sunday, but now she had never felt more hopeless, forlorn, exhausted. Even when she saw the tomb was empty, it, please, she wasn't all of a sudden hopeful, right? She just thought that those jerks had stolen the body, and it just made her even more upset, rubbing salt in her wounds, thorns infesting her ground. She, she started crying, and she couldn't stop, and so she ran to Peter, a good friend, Peter. She ran to his house to tell him the news. Now, talk about somebody else who's ripped apart and torn apart. Peter, but for different reasons. I mean, like Mary, he was there that Palm Sunday. He was waving his palm branches and throwing his cloak on the, on the ground as Jesus walked into, into Jerusalem shouting, Hosanna, and then... Well, it sort of started at the Last Supper. Do you remember that part of his story? The Last Supper, the betrayal, the garden, and then catch this, Peter just skedaddles uh, as far away as he possibly can. He ran, he hid. I mean, you see, Jesus had predicted that Peter was going to deny knowing him. And Peter, boisterous Peter, you remember Peter was the the fisherman, the strong guy, or the man's man who, who liked to be sort of the leader, the extrovert in front of everyone. Peter stood up and said, ain't no way that's going to happen. I'll never deny knowing you, Jesus. Well, but that's exactly what he did that night outside the chief priest's home. Jesus was inside on trial, but Peter was outside trying to save his rear end. I don't know that guy. When somebody came up to him and said, hey, aren't you one of his followers? Me? No, (laughs) not me. He yelled as he ran away. Didn't even make it to the cross. Did you notice that? Would not have even made it to the tomb had it not been for Mary. He was too afraid. And and I'm sure he was just filled with way too much guilt. Guilt will do that to you, won't it? So he hid. He ran away ashamed. Peter never imagined that he'd be so weak. But Mary was a good friend. We all should have a friend like that, by the way. You know somebody who knows you better than you know yourself, or at least is willing to sort of admit those parts of you that maybe you're afraid to admit about yourself? Someone like Mary. Mary must have been that kind of friend to Peter. We don't know, but that just seems to be written between the lines of the story. Mary goes to Peter. When when she has to go somewhere, uh, she knew where to go first. And sure enough, when she saw that Jesus was gone... She knew who she wanted to tell, her friend, Peter. So she ran to his house. She knew where he was. Maybe nobody else did, but she sure did. And then he ran to the tomb. He looked inside and listened to what the Gospel of John says next. And he saw and and he believed. Now, I have to tell you, I've read this story I don't know how many times in my life. And, 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 and until my Bible study last Thursday morning, uh, I had always assumed that that one little phrase was that sort of moment, you know, like when a light bulb goes off and every thing seems suddenly clear, right? I mean, this just burst of energy like, ah, yeah, I get it. Aha, that aha moment. That's what I always assumed it was for, for Peter when he looked inside, didn't win there, and then, and then he believed, <laughs> But that's not what the story tells us, really. The story says nothing about Peter suddenly becoming filled with amazement and excitement. That's not what it says. Nobody has said anything about a resurrection yet. The only thing they believe is that Mary is right. The body is gone. It's stolen. 
more thorns choking the life out of Peter. And then this sad, pitiful phrase. I never saw it as a pitiful phrase. It's a pitiful phrase. And so he just goes home. He gives up. No sense of amazement. Heads down, forlorn, totally defeated. Not what I expected that first Easter morning. It's what Jürgen Moltmann says is part of God's terrible silence. When we're waiting for a response from God, but we don't get it. Ever been there? Uh, those last three days had been just like that. It started with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he uttered that strange prayer, if, if we're honest with ourselves, when he says, Father, Father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me, and then nothing. Silence, awkward silence, a long pregnant pause of a silence, no response at all from God. In fact, no sound at all until we hear the sound of of guards with with sticks and chains. Then on the cross, Jesus is suffering, dying on the cross, right? And he cries out to God, another sort of awkward statement that Jesus is making. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Silence nothing. We're expecting some kind of response, but there is nothing. C.K. Chesterton says that in that moment for an instant, Jesus seemed like an atheist, except that in truth, what we're watching and what we're seeing, what we're experiencing is a God who allows himself to be filled with utter agony. Yes, but also with utter doubt, and that's profound, isn't it? Gary Rhodes passed along an amazing article written the other day in the Washington Post, written by one other columnist, Michael Gerson, where he says that on Good Friday, God gave permission for confusion. He dignified doubt. Isn't that an odd statement? He dignified doubt. If you're like me, this past year has been, there have been plenty of moments of confusion and maybe even a few moments of doubt. I know some of you have felt the same way. I know it. Maybe a lot of you. Grief will do that to you. Cancer will do that to you. Fear will do that to you. Well, listen, that's where Peter and Mary were that first Easter morning. That's precisely the baggage that they brought to the tomb that morning. And here's the thing. In those moments, when they were powerless, when they were most lonely, Jesus waited for them. Did you notice? When they themselves felt choked, they were infested by thorns, Jesus didn't give up on them. He waited for them. Peter he went home. He didn't know what else to do. Mary, she went back to the tomb. Why? We don't know why. She just did. But she's still crying. She's overwhelmed with grief until she hears the most amazing word ever, Mary, which, which transports us back to the very first moment of creation when God spoke a single word and all of the earth was formed. Or the first verses of of John's gospel, when this word, it then becomes flesh and it lived among us. Or the very last words of of this word become flesh, human, who's now on a cross and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
And in that moment, we hear the power of God's Word, a Word that does not try to give an answer to Mary's confusion or to Peter's doubt. That's what the world is always trying to do, just to provide an answer, to fix it, to take care of it, to manage it. That's not what God does. Not in that moment. It simply makes room for the confusion and doubt. Mary, I'm here. The same word spoken on the first day of creation, spoken now on the first day of a brand new creation, because that's what the resurrection does, right? It welcomes us into the dawn of a brand new day. The same word spoken, then spoken now, a word that invites us to trust that this God of of mystery is worth trusting because this is a God who walks with us through the pains of death into the beauty of brand new life. So, a funny thing happened um, the other day. I decided to go ahead and why not spend a few hours trying to just pull out the vines and thorns that were tangled in the foliage of that tree in, in the garden. It looked so starved. It looked so choked. It looked so lifeless. But when they were pulled away, I noticed an amazing thing. It lived. And more than that, new sprouts, they were poking through those vines. They were reaching up to the sun, thorns no longer infesting its ground, scarring its branches. Instead, there in God's garden stood a tree of great beauty. And that is why we proclaim Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.